0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your co-host this time, uh, Samuel Davies, and I'm here with my collaborator, friend, colleague, Usman Mughal. Thank you very much. Hi, Sam. Hello, and um, Usman, you set all this up, and it was a really good job because it was a fascinating conversation with Kiki Kutmuidu.
1: Yeah, so Kiki is a behavioural science expert. She comes from an academic background, but now uses and utilises her her skills um, informing and working with charities, um, small and large, to talk about the psychology of giving. So what we spoke about in this podcast was really interesting. It was how charity can utilise academic research Mm -hmm. that has been conducted and how charities can understand their audience better and able to target their campaigns or their fundraising activities so they can get better results. Um, One of the things that really interested me is you know, we all talk about donor-centric attitudes and developing that in in the organisation we work for. But what came across really closely in, in Kiki's conversation with us was we have to make donors as a very important part of that cog in order to understand their needs, what they want out of the relationship And that was a really insightful conversation. Brilliant. Well, here's the conversation. Hi, Kiki. Can you please give our listeners a brief introduction into your background and where your interests lie?
2: My whole background is psychology. I studied psychology and then I did a master's in neuroscience. And then I continued with a PhD in cognitive psychology in London. And after that, I um, abandoned the academic world and I started working in companies and I discovered I really liked how I could apply this knowledge and this insight to change behavior in real time. And for the last two companies that I've been working for, um, the main focus was on fundraising and how, why people give, uh, how we can influence their decision and so forth.
1: Can you please share why it is important for charities to learn more about psychology of people? Is it only relevant for fundraising or is it relevant in other areas such as campaigns and marketing too?
2: Well, all of our decisions are influenced by a variety of factors and some of them are conscious, some of of them are subconscious. The decision to give to charity or to help people in general is not any different to that. So giving can be affected by external forces like social pressure or by internal motives, like my identity, who I am. So the psychology of giving is trying to unearth what affects the decision and how exactly giving is influenced by the different contextual, social or personal factors. Now why it's important to know this, I'd like to ask you, what, do you think it's important and why? And then I can tell you my view.
0: I'm a fundraiser here in London and I aim to be as donor-centric as I can be in terms of how I engage with supporters and get them on board to support the cause I represent and fundraise for. So I think understanding why people do give and what motivates them is really vital. And I hope that you know psychology of giving is something that I can better understand.
2: Yeah, exactly. And maybe... I should make a distinction because there are factors that affect giving in general, and there are there is something else some the core knowing the core reason why someone supports you is different to that so they're both part of the psychology of giving, but while the first is important, the latter is really crucial and knowing the factors that affect giving in general is just like you said some you can use. Uh, insights from all the nudges, social proof, anchoring, or you name it, and apply that to increase income by changing situational or social elements. But if you understand why your supporters chose you specifically as their charity and what their core motivation is, that's a game changer and, and it's much bigger than any nudge. It could increase charitable income, it could increase engagement, it's relevant to any segment, volunteers, campaign, campaigners, anything.
1: So from your experience, have you seen certain charities perform better because of their cause and the number of people that are attracted to that particular cause?
2: Um, I'm sure there are mo- some causes that are more popular than others, but my guess is that that's because that cause resonates with the majority of people and their identity, mm. who they are. So, for example, health charities are popular because guess what? People get sick and they get the disease and then they want to support that disease. Or kids charities, they might be popular because most people have kids or some connection to kids and they want to support it. So, yeah, it's not about the the importance of the cause. All of them are important, but not everyone is important to every person.
1: journeys and how charities can tap into that using this understanding of psychology we have spoken about so far. For example, once we have a supporter on board and we know that that supporter is willing to give to our cause, how do we engage with the supporter further?
2: Well, there are many insights from behavioural science that could be tested in an effort to, say, increase average gift or response rates or engagement, you name it again, volunteering. Uh, We already mentioned social proof you can share what others are doing to motivate people to do the same thing or You could delay a payment of an upgrade to reduce the pain of pain so people have the sense that they're not losing any money right now or You can give people the sense that they're donating a complete set to increase their sense of impact and that will keep them engaged and involved and retain them the best way to do it is by discovering who they are their identity what is it that connects them to the cause what's the part of them that is shared with the charity and play that back otherwise the the stewardship journey is almost irrelevant mm. so along with the identities, you also need to discover preferences how do people want to communicate with you and you need to respect that because otherwise What happens right now is that people end up giving despite the stewardship journey and not thanks to it. We have proof of that. Um, The donor Voice Feedback platform does what the name suggests. It allows supporters to leave feedback after any transaction or interaction with a charity. And I'm going to share one comment that a person left. This supporter Shared that he felt bombarded by the emails that the charity was sending him. So, what he did was he created a folder and he automatically directed all the emails from that charity to that folder. No way, and no then, way. once a year, he would go to that folder, pick an email at random, and make his annual donation. Isn't that amazing? So, this person is so committed to the charity that he found a way. To stop himself from being annoyed and frustrated by the emails that the charity was sending him. Yeah. And at the same time, you might have a digital team that think that they're nurturing, surprising, delighting him, and they might think it works because he continues to give each year. But yeah, best intentions are not enough, you just need to know why people support you, what are their preferences, and that's the only way you could actually surprise and delight them. What this supporter wanted was not to receive so many emails. If the charity had known this, they could surprise and delight him by suggesting he made his annual donation a recurring one. That also removes the hassle of him having to do it every year. Or they could ask him what he would like to hear, what his motivation for support is, and only send him relevant content. What are the chances of him ignoring the emails then? But right now this isn't happening. because. I think charities, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think charities are afraid to give supporters control over the content or the frequency and they are not aware of why people really support them.
0: I think from my point of view, and I'm, I've worked in the charity sets for a few years now and uh, for a number of different charities, large and small, and I think that the intention is always there to build as effective relationships as possible with existing supporters and new supporters and to really be as donor-centric as possible. And obviously with things like GDPR coming through now, putting even more pressure on charities to um, abide by rules that really encourage uh, dialogue with supporters, at least when it comes to consent for communications. I think there's more of an onus on charities and charities are, are trying to embrace that. But I think the biggest challenge for charities that I've seen is the resource and the lack of resource That means that really developing very bespoke journeys for supporters is a real challenge and one that some charities just don't feel they have the resource to do. And that then leads to rather generic communications plans.
2: It's really, really difficult to try and create really donor-centric journeys because you need to actually have data from the person itself and tailor the communications and journey to that. And that's very hard to do. Maybe the the software isn't helping or the way the different departments work that isn't helping. So with all these barriers, we just go with what's easiest. But if we really want the sector to grow and if we really appreciate the importance of donor-centric journeys, then that's the only way to go forward.
0: I know for uh, small charities, and a lot of our listeners will be uh, working for smaller charities, they're might not be the budget for automated processes that will help them to develop uh, supporter journeys for different groups. Are there things they can do without large budgets that will help them? I mean, is it a case of asking the right questions from the start of their supporters to understand them better?
2: Yeah, two questions here. Definitely, it's about asking the right questions. Uh, We need to have a hypothesis about what, what the motivations are, why people come to you and support you, And try to validate that and through a piece of work I mean we do it at Donor Voice but there are other ways you can validate what why people support you and once you have the answer then you need to go to all of your supporters you need to speak to them personally and ask that question that will identify them as motivation A versus motivation B or identity A versus identity B and there is no way to go Around that, there is no way you can assume what that identity is based on, I don't know, demographic or whatever it might be. You need to speak to the person itself. So, based on that, I'd say that smaller charities have it easier. It's easier for them to manage the volume and the supporters than bigger charities. It's possible for everyone.
0: I suppose then there's a responsibility to really hear what the supporters have said and respond accordingly so as not to show that you're not listening, especially if you've asked those questions. I know that there have been examples that I've seen where um, it's happened to me where I've contacted a a charity, supported a charity and then I've been uh, written uh, to uh, with the wrong name and that just makes me feel uh, pretty irritated and probably less likely to support the charity so there's a there's that other responsibility then I suppose if you you ask the question
2: yeah we we are the most important self uh, the, the most important person is us in our mind, so how can't you remember my name it's like it's unacceptable, yeah, people get offended by this, and it, it makes sense, but at the same time, everyone is guilty because, like I said, it's very difficult to keep track of everything and the bigger a charity is, the more difficult it becomes. That's why I said for smaller charities, it actually might be easier to keep track of your, do- of your donors, their motivation, their interests. But there is th- the technology exists. Mm-hmm. We can make use of it and try to find out what people want. And as you say, act on it. Because the moment you ask, you create an expectation. If I ask you what your favorite food is, When I ask you for dinner, you kind of expect me to prepare your favourite food, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why did I ask? When we ask people to give their feedback, they expect us to respond to it, especially if they made a complaint.
1: The last couple of years in fundraising has been a difficult one. There have been a few scandals in the media, but there are also other barriers to giving. So, for example, even though people want to give, perhaps they are not able to, or they're not able to at the level that we're asking for. So how can charities confront these issues?
2: Yeah, barriers to giving. The problem isn't that there isn't a solution to a barrier. The problem is that the, the reason why you stopped giving might be completely different to the reason why I stopped giving. So unfortunately, we can't have one solution that would tackle all the different reasons. Unless there is a specific crisis like something in the media and then you can assume that most of your supporters will have lost trust so yeah you have a campaign to tackle mistrust with a big dose of transparency and honesty and all of that but these are rare cases what happens usually is that people stop giving because of something that happens to them personally whether that's a financial crisis or they stop believing in the cause or whatever it is. So again, unfortunately, um, the only way to tackle this is to find out why you stop giving and then go back with a tailored approach. If it's financial, then you can offer alternative ways that they could support you, that they could still make them feel like they're making a difference, like campaign or fundraise for us, volunteer, anything. And then when they're back on their feet, guess what, they're going to give again. Because you respected them at their time of need, so now they're, they're back to help you. If they've stopped believing in the cause, that's your opportunity to make them buy into it again, prove its value, show the difference you make. If they're happy with what they're giving now, automate it, remove the hassle for them, and then again they will be grateful and this might lead to something else. So again, there is a right approach to tackle every barrier, but we just can't guess it. Nor assume that it's the same for everyone and go with one blast.
1: And that is a challenge in itself, isn't it? The fact that charities have to talk to their donors individually. And that's not always possible. But sometimes we have to do that, but it can be difficult.
2: And they're right, it is difficult to do. But if they want to re-engage people, that's the only way to do it. Would you respond to something generic that doesn't cover your needs? I wouldn't if I knew it's a massive effort to re-engage me without having spent the time to listen to what my needs are, why I stopped giving. It's the only way, and like I said, the technology is here. I mean, this feedback, the listening post that we have, acquiring feedback from everyone, People who stop giving, people who are newly acquired, people who are monthly donors, and that's how you can gradually, and not 100%, not even 50%, but 20% of the donors, you can have a personal conversation and tackle their personal issues and fix it. I
0: know we've covered in previous episodes, but this sense of charity is better to Focus on improving your retention and attrition rate rather than every year going after new supporters to, uh, to raise funds for your projects. And if you can improve your attrition and retention rate, it can save you money and effort and it can lead to a much more efficient operation for your charity, which uh, can pay dividends then to uh, raising funds needed for your projects. And uh, I think there's lots of evidence to suggest that's the case.
2: No, I I agree. It's very short-sighted. It's just to keep going, the machine going, but it's not a smart move. Just keep putting people in that are leaving in a month or two. We just need to stop people from leaving.
0: I wonder if you can uh, comment on this idea of asking the right questions, because I heard this anecdote about a uh, major movie streaming platform uh, that apparently ran a, a focus group and asked people what kind of movies they would like to watch on their site, and people answered uh, documentaries, art house films, um, you know, really highbrow stuff, and uh, and so they went out and they then put this on their site, and nobody watched it because people instead wanted to watch Adam Sandler movies and really you know easy easy watching stuff, so. What What is this kind of sense of uh, aspiration versus realistic kind of answers, truthful answers? What does that mean for small charities if they're trying to develop understandings of their supporters? How does that affect um, the questions that they're asking and and should be asking? Uh,
2: Survey methodology is a science. The questions you ask are more important or as important as the answers you get. So what you just described is... A classic example of social desirability. Right. You ask me what movies I'd like to watch, so I I desire you to see me as a sophisticated person with lots of interest, so that's what I'm going to say. Mm. In reality, I just want to watch rom-coms and eat ice cream and that's it. So, it's not that we can't trust any answer, we can if we ask the right questions. And the, these questions are about themselves based on previous behavior or values and beliefs, like who they are. I'm, I'm talking about identity a lot, maybe. So that would be the question that everyone should be asking. The problem is that it's different for every charity. So that first they need to discover what the question is. Mm. Health charities, that's easy for them. It's the connection to the disease. and. People are not guessing. They know if they had cancer or if a loved one had cancer or if they are diabetic. All we need to do is capture that information. And it's going to be 100% accurate. It's not like the movies. What would you like to watch? It's based on your life. And once you know that identity, from day one, from acquisition, you should be asking, Do you have any connection to this disease, yes or no? And that should dictate the content. Because people who have gone through cancer with a loved one or by themselves, they're a cancer survivor, they don't need to hear about someone else's story. They know all about it. So you change the content completely. But for other charities, that's also true. It's just trickier to find what the connection is. But it's true for everyone. Like environmentalists are going to help conservation charities. Parents are going to help kids' charities. Even for international relief, we've done some work and we found that there is a globalist identity. This um, connection that you feel with everyone around the world, you feel like that people are more alike than different, so you help anyone and everyone the same. So for each charity and each cause, there is a part of you that makes you support that specific organisation. And that's the question you need to ask, discover and play back.
1: Kiki, can you please give us some examples inside or outside of the sector of successful campaigns that demonstrate what we have spoken about so far?
2: I I know many charities are using behavioural nudges, all the different... Uh, Techniques, you might call them, uh, to increase giving or engagement, for example. Lots of Giving Tuesday campaigns share uh, use a goal proximity bias where they share that there is a goal and here's how close we are to achieving it so people engage more. Or many appeals use social proof and they share how much money other people have given to to influence average gifts or the use of an identifiable victim or story, storytelling to trigger emotional connection. All these are insights from behavioral science that um, the majority of charities are applying now. However, I think their application seems like random and occasional. It's not systematic. And there there is room for improvements. And when it comes to identity, I haven't seen any so far now that it's a done project finished out there that is using donor identity. Some of our clients have started doing that, have made that commitment and they've worked with us to discover their supporters identity, their preferences, and are about to put tailor journeys to market. So my guess is that these are gonna be the successful projects.
1: How important is social media in attracting new supporters or retaining old ones that Simon spoke about earlier?
2: Uh, social media is a tricky one because um it helps charities to reach many many people. It also gives the opportunity to people to share what they've done. Um but most people feel quite um they're not too happy to share it because it might seem as if they're bragging. There are studies that show that when I, when people actually share um, what they are doing that they fundraise for a charity that's very very beneficial to the charity but not many people do it because they don't want to feel like they're bragging mm. so the use of social media has potential but we, di- we just need to find a sweet spot between those two elements. Do you
0: think it's possible for charities to engage supporters to provide unprecedented levels of support is it that there are only a few people that would do that like the types of people you see volunteering hours and hours a week or a month for a charity or giving huge sums of money is it possible that that more can be done across the board with with supporters of charities or is it that it's a case of looking for the most dedicated people in society that will that will support on a high level
2: potentially you could make some people be more engaged if you match their values, needs, preference, everything that we've discussed so far. So maybe a certain number of supporters don't do more because they don't feel that they've been heard of or that the charity knows them. Having said that, I doubt that everyone will be as passionate as certain individuals. I don't know, maybe they had a specific experience or connection that makes them behave like this. And so I don't think everyone would do that. But also I don't think we should expect everyone to do that. We should be happy with the support that they are happy to give at any level.
1: We've spoken a lot about individuals giving to charities, but how does that differ, if it does, to trust and foundations or corporate fundraising?
2: There is one common element. They all involve people and or they're run by people. So once again, there will be factors explaining their decisions in their respective contexts. And yes, it's true that these factors may differ between the different segments of fundraising, but there is extensive research and literature for all the different areas. So you just need to be aware of it and try to apply it to your work. So for example, major donors, it's a completely different segment to individual giving, but we know from the literature that they care more about their personal impact than what we can do together. So messages that charities use, together we can save X, Y, Z, that's a message that it's not going to motivate them. Or some of them give out of um, obligation or a need to give something back. And these major donors wouldn't like to be recognized for their uh, contribution. But you need to know that that's what motivates them so then you can respect their wishes. So there are insights from psychology of giving for every type of fundraising, which can be extremely useful. Charities just need to assign value to it and start working with behavioural scientists so they can have access to it and know how to apply it appropriately.
1: Are there any websites, links that you would suggest that I can look into and learn more about this subject?
2: My recommendation is that yes, reading is great and I encourage charities to get to know this field more, but... Just reading about it doesn't mean that you can apply it, so I need to caution people that because it sounds so intuitive or fun, all these nudges, we feel like it's easy to apply, but sometimes they can backfire massively just because we don't really understand how they work.
0: Kiki Kudmulitu, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat.
2: Thank you for inviting me, it was fun.
0: To Kiki and Usman, thank you for setting that fascinating interview up. I really enjoyed it, and I hope our, our dear listeners out there will have enjoyed it too. I'm sure they will have. And um, For me, the most interesting aspect of that really was what charities can do to really retain their supporters and to be as donor-centric and uh, react to the information they get from their supporters, so as to uh, to keep them on board for as long as possible. And Usman, you raised a really valid point, I think, there. You talked about the different uh, scandals and bad practices that we've seen over the last few years in the charity sector, and actually how psychology of giving um, is vital in understanding what supporters want to prevent these things from happening again and understanding how many times we should be contacting what kind of information they want to hear from charities and uh, making sure that by doing that we're actually uh, preventing future scandals and damage to the charity sector which affects all of us in a really negative way so there we go dear listener big thank you to kiki kutmaridu for the fascinating interview and uh, we really appreciated her time and we hope that you enjoyed the show we'll be uh, on again in a couple of weeks time um but just uh, please do get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you if you've got any feedback about the show any good and bad stories about how psychology of giving has worked for you or not worked for you please do let us know and you can find more information about the show on our source links page please do have a look on there on our website charitychat.org.uk a big thank you to our corporate sponsors Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit Magda Aksumit for beautiful website design again check it out charitychat.org.uk RIR Photography for the um, lovely pro bono photos on our website and Forrester Fools who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now that's it from us thanks Usman pleasure to speak to you as always speak to you soon cheerio